Today, tempers will flare as we prepare to celebrate the hot head heroes of Marvel Comics. Yes, we are talking of Marvel's bad boy heroes. Namor, the Submariner, Luke Cage, Power Man, Ben Grimm, the Thing, and the hottest hothead of them all, Wolverine. These are the guys who rage on the page, not a Boy Scout among them. These were my favorites as a kid. And as Namor, the Submariner, prepares to arrive on big screens all over America, all over the world, in Wakanda forever, we had to let off some steam. Let's hear it for the hotheads on an all-new edition of Observations. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Observations. I am your host, Rob Liefeld, hence the Rob in observations, what is a observations? You're asking. A observation is the comics industry's explosion into pop culture from the viewpoint of seven-year-old Robbie Liefeld all the way to fifty-five-year-old middle-aged man, thirty-seven-year uh, veteran of the comic book industry's perspective. Yes, I have watched this industry grow back when Marvel, the, the title Marvel, just meant comic books. Maybe, maybe a smattering. Of licensing throughout, maybe a Pez dispenser, you know, uh, uh, some candy bars, but nowhere near what Marvel means right now. I'm, I'm watching a commercial uh, for, for for one of the networks, and there's a you know Lego show where they build stuff, and 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 they they show that that this week's upcoming subject is 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 Marvel, and these two middle aged men, <laughs> you know, on the younger. On the younger side of middle-aged men, slightly younger than your host here, go, oh my gosh, we get to do Marvel! And they're freaking out on the commercial. And I'm like, yep, Marvel means something different now. And Marvel isn't the comic books on the spinner rack that I used to pull off when I was a kid with my uh, with, with, with with my allowance, with my lunch money that I saved over, with, with, the, with the quarters that I dug out of the, you know, pads in the living room from the sofa it wasn't <laughs> you know that marvel just means something different now those the dominion of comic books what was really the only place you could interact with marvel comics yeah eventually they made you know tv shows and i and and eventually they made some cartoons but this explosion into the culture is really a product of the last you know 20 plus years and i have watched it transform them and i'm gonna tell you we're gonna get right bit right into it today we are gonna we're gonna go right into the teeth because this week sees the opening of wakanda forever black panther wakanda forever the sequel to the global worldwide blockbuster that introduced you so many of you to wakanda and the world of t'challa and and black panther after his appearance in in civil war they gave you know the entire world it's 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 devoted due they 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 focused the entire thing on this kingdom of wakanda and it blew up it was a massive one of one of marvel's biggest hits a a giant global powerhouse and of course then we we sadly ter- just terribly uh mourned the loss of of chadwick boseman and there was even doubt that this would go forward 
And as much as I want to revisit Wakanda and, 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 and watch these characters process their own grief over both Chadwick Boseman, Boseman the performer, and T'Challa, I'm going to tell you, little Robbie Liefeld cannot get it out of his mind that he's going to see the cinematic film representation of Prince Namor, the Submariner, for the first time since he was seven years old. Because when I was seven years old, I grabbed uh, a copy of Fantastic Four 147. I have covered it here, uh, possibly ad nauseum, possibly too much on the show when I traded my barber, Fred the Barber, for his Fantastic Four 147. The cover of Fantastic Four 147. 47 has Namor bursting, just flying out of, of the ocean, you know, splashing through full figure um, above the water and the thing and the human torch, you know, the two um, kind of the, the sexiest members uh, of the Fantastic Four team are standing there on a rock perch. Well, well, the thing is standing there ready to defend his ground and and, and the human torch is circling around in the air. But human tor- uh, Namor, Prince Namor, Submariner is furious. He's angry. He's, he's ready to take him on and he does. He puts the thump. He puts the thump on the Fantastic Four. He just tosses them around. The thing, uh, human torch. Later on, the entire team attacks him uh, under under underwater in his kingdom, and you know th- this comic book was so compelling to me. I had to have it. I had to take it home, and 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 I just think I couldn't muster it. If you're thinking like I was like kicking and screaming, I need to have this. No, I was quietly like sad, putting it back on the the, the pile of the comic books that Fred the Barber had for the kids whose hair you know, that he cut. And, and, and again, my dad would get his haircut, then I would follow. So the entire time I'm waiting while my dad gets his haircut, I'm flipping through this comic. Then, then I take it with me to the seat, you know, where I'm hoisted above and I just cannot get this out of my head. Prince Namor is like my jam. I cannot even begin to tell you how much I was digging on Prince Namor and counting on the fact that, come on, I'm, I need to own this. I need to own this comic. So, you know, we, uh, we, 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 we we cling to the stuff that we grew up with as kids. And and the fact that Namor is now going to make his cinematic debut, I'm going to see him, you know, in the flesh. And and it, it, it's, it's been driving my interest in this movie like nothing else, even given all of the other, uh, you know, huge appeal, the, 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 the benchmarks of Wakanda forever. I am all about Namor, Prince Namor, Submariner, and the fact that he represents... An age that Marvel absolutely dominated with the bad boys of Marvel. This was my first of the kind of hot-tempered heroes, and I, I've talked about it before. And today we're going to go kind of through through the the uh, you know we're we're going to go through through the natural progression of how I met so many of these amazing you know uh, uh, hotheads. Let's call them hotheads. You know. I've got a dedicated uh, episode of the podcast. Uh, I think it's Marvel by Fireside is the, is the name of it. And because Fire, Fireside Publications was the name of the label that took and compiled a bunch of Marvel's 60s and late early 70s, late 60s, early 70s adventures and put them together uh, in, in different uh, trade paperbacks. The first kind of graphic novels, trade paperbacks that were available in booksellers, bookstores, and also in libraries where, where kids like me could go check them out. And I am telling you, uh, you have no idea how, how thrilled kids my age were when, when we are, you know, able to grab an entire, you know, thick 
couple hundred page book, chock full of comic book stories, one after the other. There was Origins of Marvel Comics that reprinted the earliest issues of Avengers and Iron Man and Thor and, and Fantastic Four. And then there was Son of Origins, which gave you, you know, uh, uh, even more X-Men, uh, e- e- even more of the Marvel uh, heroes. And, and then they then they did bring on the bad guys, possibly my favorite when, when you've got you've got Dr. Doom on the cover and Dormammu, Dr. Strange's bad guy, you know, lurking in the back. And you've got Loki and you've got all these great Marvel villains on the cover of this. Bring on the bad guys. They they had great monikers back in the day. Bring on the bad guys, the, the, the bad guys. There was there was ones uh, there, there was one about the female heroes. Of of the Marvel the Marvel universe that was dedicated to all of the female heroes Sue Storm, um, Black Widow, the the uh, Ms. Marvel. It, the, these trade paperbacks just kept kept coming out with such frequency that you would, you know, uh, uh, just just try and and be the next one that checked it out from the library because of course of course on my you know meager allowance of of quarters and 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 some fifty cent pieces I wasn't able to afford these these. Uh, these trade paperbacks in the same way that I was able to cobble together nickels and dimes and quarters to get the 25 cent comics that were on the spinner racks when I was a kid. But had Fireside been doing one today, it would be like, you know, let's hear it for the hotheads. Let's hear it for the hotheads by Marvel Comics. And I'm telling you, Namor would be flying at you front and center and he would be flanked by Luke Cage Power Man. Luke Cage Power Man. And he would then be flanked by none other than Wolverine. And and really between there I'm going to give you a, a couple other names, but those were my 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 top 3 what I what I want to call uh you know hotheads. I mean, it's the kind of thing if they had a you know a pull quote, it would be from your mother saying, you know, dear, n- c- come now, come now dear, temper temper. That that's what needed to be said to these heroes. Come now dear, temper temper cuz these were the hotheads of their time. And 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 look, think about it. Young males were driving the comic book sales. Young males were driving the comic book sales. That is an absolute fact for years and years and years. We have broadened, if anything, the MCU, the, the DC films, they've, they've broadened the appeal. And, and we certainly are no longer driven by young males. But if you go to the late 60s, if you go to the mid 60s, the, the launch of Marvel Comics all the way through the 70s and 80s, this is the Dominion of uh you know a a young male driven uh you know teenage teenage angst uh, uh you know driven genre and 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 so many of the books were geared towards them and so many of the editorials uh meetings and the concepts and and the directions that were mapped out were by all male staffers yes we did not evolve as a business, certainly not when I was seven years old, they certainly weren't um, welcoming in female writers, female editors at that time, like anything like news magazines, newsrooms, m- the, the media at large, you know, the, the doors started to be opened and, 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 and the balance, you know, started to, to figure itself out. And, 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 you know, now, now it's the, some of the workplaces are dominated more by women than, than, than men, but certainly at this time, these comic book companies were male-driven for young males like me, like me, and 
What are you doing when your body is changing and, 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 you know, you're becoming a teenager and all those hormones are raging and puberty is upon you. And, and what do you relate to? I got to be honest. I related to the hotheads. I related to the hotheads. I could, could completely, you know, idolize the fact that somebody ticked Namor off and he didn't want to settle it rationally. He didn't want to settle it by sitting out, sitting down and having a debate with Reed Richards. No, what he showed Reed Richards was, I'm going to take your girlfriend. Later on, I'm going to take your wife multiple times. Did you know at the end of, of, of Fantastic Four 147, as I am reading it in 1974, that, that you know, Namor takes Sue, he he takes Sue with him and she leaves Reed. And and Reed is devastated. He's devastated. He in subsequent issues, he his stubble gets thicker. His the bags under his eyes are more uh are, are more uh d- detailed and more defined because they want to show you that like Rick Reed Richards, the, the most brilliant mind in the Marvel Universe, has been kicked in the sack because because Namor came and took his girlfriend wife woman um and as a kid i'm like wait what the the the, the, my first you know interaction with marvel is that prince namor took reed richard's wife like what is going on here she's like i'm leaving you i'm in love with namor and then like later on she's like i made it a love test because this is a two-part story this is a two-part story but namor would settle things with his hot Temper. Now, now, Namor was originally introduced, just so you know, he's a World War II era superhero. He goes back to that original, you know, like Captain America base. And as I've mentioned many times on our show, because Namor gets gets dropped often, is is that, uh, you know, he was originally introduced in, in 1939. He's lifting a Nazi uh, U-boat uh, from the water and tossing all these nazis you know out of the boat submarine the submarine <laughs> the submariner okay a marvel comics this is a uh you gotta got, got look at this a marvel comics uh special edition a marvel comics special edition submariner number one 10 cents holy crap i never bought a comic book for 10 cents i would i would love to boy Love to time travel, wouldn't we all? Everybody's grabbing amazing, amazing fantasy and and, and first appearances of action comics. I mean, first action comics, <laughs> first appearances of Batman. Wouldn't we all like to go back and spend ten cents? Now, you guys, you got to realize again. Sometimes I think you guys go. You're getting comics when you're seven years old. You're going to the spinner racks. You're like, again, I would accompany uh, my my parents whenever they were doing market runs. But more importantly. What was growing up, just a, a brief kind of, you know, kind of, so you can acclimate to, to my youth, because growing up in 1974, let me tell you what we didn't have, computers, no computers, none of whatsoever. So, so if you're listening to this and you're in your 30s and you've had an, an iPhone since your 20s or, or your, your late teens, look, we didn't, we didn't have social media. We didn't have these computers in our hands, much less did we have those big, thick, giant, you know, you know, four foot wide, four foot thick computers. There was no MacBooks. There was no, there was no uplink that we, we were, we were 20 some years away from that dial up to, I mean, guys, this, this took a while. Okay. This most definitely, you know, took some time 
to get up to where technology is today. But back when I was a kid, first of all, there was three networks. That's it. The Fox network did not come out. What was called the fourth broadcast network didn't even arrive. Okay. Until I was 18 years old. So, so it was CBS, NBC, ABC. We had a black and white TV because Paul Lifa lived on a pastor's salary. And I mean, it was a big deal that we had two cars, Whoa, two cars, but we didn't get a color television till later, till I was almost nine or 10. So in, 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 when I'm seven, I'm growing up watching black and white TV. Everything I'm seeing is in gray tones. And it's not like there's a whole bunch of stuff to see. What we all also didn't have was VHSs. No, nobody was putting a, a tape of their movie in and watching it over and over and over again. We didn't have pay TV at that point. We certainly didn't have it in my house. We didn't get HBO and, and, and cable and MTV, but we did get MTV like when it launched. We didn't get that until I was a sophomore in high school, freshman, sophomore, summer. So, so the TV, the antennas, and you had, to, you had to adjust the rabbit ear antennas to get the picture. I mean, like I said, I'm, I'm 55. I am no, as my mother would say, spring chicken. This is, this is no spring chicken you're talking to here, okay? Uh, in, in Patty Liefeld vernacular. I, I, I had some toys. And I had a sandbox in the backyard. I had a tree house. Uh, we had a decent tree. My dad built a plot platform and a ladder. And so I had, you know, th- these, these kind of escapes. But one of the things you could do is with your skateboard or your bike is, is ride around town. And yes, if you're thinking, what, what were you doing at seven years old? Well, at seven years old, I could bike up and down, you know, three to four blocks. And today's, you know, today's parents aren't like yesterday's parents. We would disappear from our parents' sight. I would leave on a Saturday afternoon as I got got older, not quite seven. But when I would, when I was, you know, nine, I would leave on my bike on summer afternoons at two o'clock and come home at 10 o'clock. And I got severely, you know, rebuked, yelled at, sternly spoken to, punished because, you know, when was I checking in with my family? You know, it wasn't like I was making a call from, from the phone booth. Yes, the same phone booths that, that Clark Kent was changing into Superman in, okay? You know, that, that, that there were phone booths. And I, I certainly wasn't carrying around money to, to dial home. And, and to be honest, I, I probably couldn't have told you my home phone number. But that, that storied, historical, I've told you guys, I've gone back there. I've shown pictures on social media when I do. That corner of Magnolia and Broadway had three access points to different worlds, different portals to different imaginations. And each one carried a different item. And, and I'm talking 7-Eleven, the liquor store, and Stater Brothers, okay? And each of those had Marvel and DC, and we've covered it. Some Atlas comics. They had the magazines that Marvel was doing. The Deadly Hands of Kung Fu. They had the Planet of the Apes magazines. That they had Treasury Edition comic books. I mean, you guys, it was it was uh, you know 1974. I got my first holiday Treasury sized Christmas Marvel, you know, Christmas with the Marvel superheroes. You, you got the, uh, a decade's worth of Christmas themed stories with Daredevil and Hulk and the Avengers in these giant oversized a buck twenty five. A buck twenty five was a lot. It was a lot. But man, I still have that. I put it out around holiday time. It's coming out real soon. But but again, so if you if you don't understand. You know, seven, seven and a half years old back then, not a big deal. What are we, what else are we doing? We're not watching anything interesting on TV. My parents mostly had the news on and, and maybe Saturday morning had a few uh, cartoons to, to watch, but by, by nine 30, by 10, it was, it was over. There was nothing to watch. I wasn't a Bugs Bunny. I wasn't a Woody Woodpecker. I wasn't like a Yogi Bear guy. I wanted action. I wanted adventure and there wasn't a whole lot of it. On Friday nights, I'd watch Planet of the Apes. They had a Planet of the Apes show in 1974 to 1975, and that was my Friday night appointment television. But anyway, yes, I would make my way 
to these comic stores. And from seven to eight to nine to 10, they were, I mean, it was the beginning of this obsession, almost like they were my drug. And I was a junkie and I needed a hit of comic books all the time. And, and to be honest, you, your parents would much rather that you were getting hits off comic books than something else on the streets, right? Okay, so here's the deal. Namor was not just in the Fantastic Four at that time. Getting back to our hotheads, getting back to um, let's hear it for the hotheads. That's not going to be the, <laughs> the name of the show today. Let's hear it for the hotheads. I'm not sure it would fly, but but Namor was, as I've explained before, he was he was like in a huge role for Marvel. They launched him as the face of a World War II themed comic book featuring Captain America, Submariner, and Human Torch called The Invaders. And The Invaders was the name of the team that Cap, Bucky, Submariner, Human Torch, and he had a flying uh, a protege, a, a flaming, a flaming protege, a, a younger, a Bucky version of Human Torch called Toro. So there's five of them. And eventually we met Captain Britain and we met all sorts of different um, World War II era, you know, uh, uh, foes and friends. There was Master Man. There was Warrior Woman. I mean, Thor was summoned by Hitler back in 19, you know, 45 per this in Invaders. Invaders ran for about five, six years. It had a good, strong run. Covers by Gil Kane, uh, Jack Kirby. I mean, they put that they had giant size issues. They launched it with a special uh, edition. Invaders was a big deal. It was right there alongside the Defenders, which we're going to get to in a minute. Uh, uh, right alongside uh, X Men. And Fantastic Four and the Avengers, I mean, this was a big-time launch for them. And so Namor is on every cover. If you look at the Invaders and you look at almost every single cover, Namor is front and center. He is the classic strongman that I have spoken to uh, uh, to you guys about on this show in the past. How the publishers always deemed that the strongman of the book was to be front and center. Whether it was the Thing, whether it was the Hulk, whether it was Thor on the Avengers, it would be Hulk in his own book, but Hulk on the cover of the Defenders, Thing on the cover of Fantastic Four. And and if you go back and you look at the first year's worth of the brand new X-Men, Colossus was supposed to be the star. It wasn't supposed to be Wolverine. It was Colossus. He was in primary colors, red, yellow, you know, light blue. It was the tint on his silver armor. So he is front and center on so many of the covers so namor filled that need on the invaders and namor was also guys he was also a charter member of the defenders another monthly comic book and that starred dr strange the hulk and prince namor the submariner sometimes silver surfer they would later build out that roster but namor is the is on the face of two primary marvel team books at the time then if you can even believe this they gave him another series and it's called super villain team up super villain team up he shared a showcase book that ran about 15 16 issues it was bi-monthly it ran two years with dr doom dr doom and he had decided to team up and they would battle other villainous threats to both of their kingdoms of atlantis and latveria so I was getting a Namor comic almost every week. Namor had his own book prior to my coming around to comics. Uh, Prince Namor, the Submariner, was written by Stanley, drawn by John Buscema, one of their you know greats. And and honestly, I, I I've got an entire episode uh, detailing the the Mount Rushmore of comic book artists, and John Buscema is on it firmly, never to be removed. One of the greatest Marvel comic book artists of all time. His, his penciling on Fantastic Four, on the Avengers, on Thor, on Conan, on, on Prince Namor, on Silver Surfer is the stuff of legends. He is brilliant. Faces, figures that just to die for. Guys like Mark Silvestri, 
whom I praise here regularly. His DNA is 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 steeped in John Buscema. So John Buscema was the artist on the Submariner series, and that ran for years and years. And in fact, the head uh, of Marvel's art department, John Romita Sr., who had done a uh, 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 legendary run on Spider-Man following Spider-Man's creator Steve Ditko leaving the book after thirty some issues, he had um, you know established himself on Amazing Spider-Man. He had become Marvel's senior art director and he designed this new costume for submariner that they were trotting out and and that's the this blue you know blue full kind of bodysuit but open chest uh costume that that he was sporting on the cover of fantasy 4147 but and 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 he was away from the little green trunks that we're going to see in in the film and now now listen Again, and I've really, I went on YouTube, I wanted to say this gentleman's name correctly. I cheered when he was introduced a couple of years ago on stage. It's it's Tinoch Huerta. Tinoch Huerta is going to be portraying Namor, and he looks fantastic. In the trailers, it is, it is his representation that gets me so excited. I am so an- anticipating this. Yes, I know they've changed somewhat. Uh, the way he looks, his kingdom is not quite Atlantis. But look, I did a dedicated podcast right after San Diego and Hall H this last year of Aquaman uh, versus Namor. Who came first? It was Namor. I'll just tell you that right now. Namor predates Aquaman. The Sea Kings, I think it's what I called it, but it really goes goes um, to their similarities. Uh, it walks you down, you know, the two big publishers and the two big film studios, uh, you know, respective, you know, basically, you know, aquatic merman superheroes and i have always fallen even though i love aquaman he's he's a huge favorite of mine uh, i i just have always fallen on the namor side of things and again namor was a hothead you did not want to mess with him he always solved things with his fist he would punch you through walls he would again take your girlfriend he was a ruler of a kingdom he wielded a trident his strength underwater increased that's what the fantasy four found out they're like oh my gosh he's even stronger underwater uh namor has beaten down with all of them, with the Hulk, with Thor, with uh, with with you know the Thing. He took on all the heavy hitters. He took on all the big comers of the Marvel universe, and and often would come out on top. There is a fantastic uh, storyline where the, I did a podcast on this entire crossover because it was sent, it was uh, shipped out of order, and uh, Namor battles the Avengers in this. This uh, 1976 crossover, which included Supervillain Team Up and, and the Avengers title, and it crossed back and forth, and they were battling Atuma, A-T-T-U-M-A, not Schwarzenegger saying, Atuma, uh, is it Atuma? No, Atuma predates Arnold's funny, is it a tumor, jing, you know, jingle, uh, from, 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 or it, it's not Atuma from, from Kindergarten Cop. Uh, but Atuma is the bad guy also, or, or, or possibly an ally that splits off against Namor. I have seen coverage of Wakanda forever. I have not seen the movie. I am so excited to see it and see Tenok Huerta's uh, portrayal of Namor. Namor seems like a big catalyst. Some people are calling him a villain. That's okay. He's been a, he, he was the face of a book by Marvel called Super Villain Team-Up. And again, if you check these out, you're going to see great visuals. Well, again, he was not the only hothead. He is one. He was one of my favorite hotheads. But again, that Avengers crossover, he battled the Avengers. Some killer, killer portrayals of Namor over the years in my youth. Okay, so so he, I was given a heavy diet through the Invaders, 
Marvel supervillain team-up, his appearances in all the other comic books like like Fantastic Four, and then the Defenders. I mean, the face of two team books, lots of images of Namor on the newsstands, on the spinner racks when I was a kid. I dug him. I dug uh, really just how aggressive he was. And again, he, 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 it was not lost on me that he was flying off the handle. I liked the aggression. I liked the aggression. I, it, it literally, you know, uh, uh, affected the way I looked at Reed Richards, the way Namor kind of always one upped him. And look in once upon a time in Hollywood at the opening, when, uh, uh, the, 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 is it Rick Dalton? The character of DiCaprio is going to meet with Al Capone's agent and Capone's like, kid, you got to stop, you know, you got to stop taking dives. You, you you keep getting knocked down on these TV shows. You used to be a, a film star, but they keep knocking you down and knocking you down. And soon, sooner or later, the audience is just going to identify you as a guy who gets knocked down, you know, and you're not going to be able to get up. Well, that's how I saw pretty much anybody Namor took out. I've always favored Namor and, and somebody that he just kind of always had an edge on was Reed Richards. He seemingly always got the best of him. But as, you know, as I grew as, as I matured and other artists came over, George Perez, John Byrne uh, came into the business. They clearly had a fascination with Namor too because their portrayals of him are among some of the finest. Uh, Byrne would do several Namor stories during his Fantastic Four run in the 80s. And then he did a book called Alpha Flight and he in, in introduced another aquatic character named Marina. Um, and, and, and of course, Namor Submariner was key in so many of these storylines. So Namor had great representation being that he was featured a ton on covers, uh, illustrated amazingly. It, it seemed like a character that people responded to in a big way, and I responded to it as well. Well, then there's Luke Cage, Power Man. And I covered early on in when I started this podcast, no no less than four or five episodes in, uh, you know, the, the George Floyd situ- situation happened in America. He was... Uh, murdered, killed. Uh, it, 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 it blew up America race relations just completely exploded. And the thing that really made me the saddest was when I was growing up, little white Robbie Liefeld in Anaheim dreamed about being Luke Cage patrolling the streets of Harlem. Uh, the comic book Luke Cage was a monthly bestseller. Uh, it was a comic book that I was not, you know, ever adverse to to buying and putting on top of my stack i loved how luke cage looked i love how he talked i love his swagger i loved his primary colors we've talked recently as recently as the matrix episode and all the things we got wrong i mean you've got you've got this strong black man in luke cage power man and he wears canary yellow canary yellow open chest the open chest was a big deal you know look look at the connecting factors here prince namor open chest with his blue costume with that he was rocking all during this super villain team-up era this this mid-70s swoon then you've got luke cage with his bright canary yellow open shirt open chest he's got a silver badass tiara that i thought looked awesome he has a belt of chains his belt is made of chains. He's got the skin tight leather pants. Then he's got the canary yellow buccaneer boots. I mean, Luke Cage Power Man looked awesome. And kids like Rob Liefeld could not get enough of him. Not only was I buying Luke Cage Power Man and watching him battle, you know, all these different villains from Moses Magnum to, you know, to the Piranha, uh, to, to, well, in, in no time, he joins the Fantastic Four. Yes, there is a three 
issue arc drawn by none other than than George Perez, also Rich Buckler contributing on covers. And this is, I believe, Fantastic Four 168. I want to say Fantastic Four 168. He joins the Fantastic Four because the thing lost his powers and the Fantastic Four needed a they needed a a new super strongman. They needed a strongman. They needed, they needed muscle. And so what they do? They put out a call, and Luke Cage, he was a hero for hire. They 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 hired him. And so the next thing you know, Luke Cage is on the cover of the Fantastic Four. And 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 kids like me are like, wait, like, what's going on here? Luke Cage has joined the FF Fantastic Four one sixty eight. The cover. Ben Grimm is no longer the thing, so his fading thing visage is 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 a visage of the thing is fading behind Ben Grimm, who's in a who's in a shirt and tie, as he watches uh, Human Torch fly out above him, and he says, "Let's go, Cage! You're one of us now." And Luke Cage, Power Man, says, "You know it, Torch." And the thing says, "For years, I've wanted to just be plain Ben Grimm, not the thing, but now." I'm replaced by Power Man. This is a three-issue uh, arc where Luke Cage is on the cover of each of the Fantastic Four. So this is like 1975, 1976. And you're like, wait a second, I'm getting Luke Cage in the pages of Fantastic Four. Fantastic Four had on its masthead, world's greatest comic magazine. World's greatest comic book magazine. It's one of the things I always liked about it. This kind of boasts the world's greatest comic magazine. And for years, I, I, on recent a recent episode of this own show, Galactus, I told you this is one of the most storied franchises in the history of comic books. The hundred and one issues that Stan and Jack combined to give us that that gave us the Inhumans, Galactus, Black Panther, Wyatt Wingfoot, the Wizard, the Frightful Four. I mean, it goes on and on and on. It 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 was a showcase book. It was a book where where the eyeballs were out. It was a top seller. It was in the top five, top three of Marvel all the time. And and when Luke Cage is suddenly front and center, just like two years prior in Fantastic Four 147, Namor is front and center. You have my attention. Fantastic Four was produced by some of the top talents that were doing Marvel comics at the time. Writers like Roy Thomas, Jerry Conway, Len Wein, Marv Wolfman. Those were the top guys. Those were the top Marvel writers. Illustrated by George Perez, Rich Buckler. I mean, these were guys who were on some of the top books. So you knew you were getting top flight you know comic books in terms of talent and and when luke cage joins the fantastic four i mean you enjoy watching that fit you enjoy watching that dynamic and and i drank it up as a kid now you guys again like namor he is not only in the fantastic four you know obviously luke cage isn't going to be in a uh in, in a world war ii book but for sure you, you can bet your bottom dollar when I tell you that he was also a member of the Defenders. Remember, I'm buying the Defenders at the time. The Defenders has Doctor, Doctor Strange, who you now have, you know, everybody in the culture knows. Nobody knew Doctor Strange 10 years ago. And I know everybody knows because, of course, the brilliant movies with Benedict Cumberbatch. And uh, I tell you, Luke Cage joined the Defenders, became a prominent member of the Defenders, and once again, was a key figure on all of their covers. And these covers are by some of the top talents in comics. So you get these, you know, Marvel's cover editor at the time, Gil Kane, one of the greatest comic book artists. If you go and listen to my top five Spider-Man artists of all time, Gil Kane is the man. He is one of. And, and, and he, he hasn't drawn 
Spider-Man since the mid-70s, but I would put his Spider-Man up against almost anybody else's. He is on my top five. Listen to that episode to get the entire lowdown. Uh, But Gil Kane was the dedicated cover artist, and he would draw the Defenders covers. Or, or somebody like a, a Rich Buckler, like I talked about, one of the uh, one of their other really top cover guys growing up, and 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 Luke Cage, Power Man is front and center for a good long while, a good year's worth of Defenders stories that he's involved in. Sometimes Jack Kirby's drawing him on the cover. I mean, he's he's fighting alongside Hulk. I mean, you got you've got him in the Fantastic Four with 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 Human Torch and Reed Richards and and, and the Invisible Woman, Sue Storm, Sue Sue Richards. And then you've got him, you know, in his own book, battling all sorts of kick-ass villains in the, in the streets of Harlem. And look, he's another guy, hot-tempered, sweet Christmas. That was, that was what they, they sweet Christmas. And, and he had all these different phrases. And I just, I loved him. I wanted to be Luke Cage. I wanted to be a big, badass, no-nonsense. People shot him in the chest. He was, you know, impenetrable. His skin could not be, you know... Uh, cut or, or shot at or, or bleed. He, he could take full force bullets. He had his super strength and he would, another guy, quite honestly, who would settle things with his fist. Now, given that he is such a hothead, his dynamics on the Fantasy Four didn't quite work out, as you will read if you read 168, 169, 170, uh, the, 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 the Luke Cage episode issues of Fantastic Four. And he didn't always play well with others on the Defenders. And he certainly kicked everyone's ass who stood in his way in his own book. You know, again, he was Harlem's guardian. And again, I got all that culture because the cast of the Luke Cage comic book is predominantly black. There wasn't a lot of white characters in there. But, you know, who gave a shit? That, that, that's the stuff I liked. I scooped it up. We did not. I've, I've told you before, I was not raised in a house where we saw color. We just, you know, that, that, that wasn't something that we were raised in. And I've always been so grateful to my parents for that. But, I mean, you know, we would, again, watch basketball and football a ton of sports muhammad ali is tearing up the culture during this time maybe the most significant pop culture figure period an athlete a boxer and i think a lot of that was the inspiration that they drew for luke cage i mean muhammad ali was idolized by everyone the hispanic community the white community the black community the asian community so luke cage was really a reflection of that but and like muhammad ali who i would say even though he he had his um you know kind of his zen uh, uh, beliefs. He also was kind of a hothead, kind of cocky, kind of, you know, uh, had, 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 had a bit of a, uh, an edge as you would expect a, a champion boxer like him to, to, to contain nowhere near the crazy. I'm going to bite your face off like Mike Tyson, but you get what I'm saying. Luke Cage had a hot temper and messed and, and, and you didn't want to mess around with him. And he stood his ground and he made sure like you knew where he was coming from. And if you, if, if, if you were going to try and cross him, he was going to like Namor put you through a wall. Well, the great dynamic in this that was achieved later in the later years where they combined Iron Fist, you know, the warrior of Kung Lung, uh, Kun Lung, Kun Lung and, 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 his, and his special super chai that he would summon. And, you know, Iron Fist became a very controversial character as a result of the show. And, and there was all sorts of crazy opinions going around about that. But my age... Shang-Chi Master of Kung Fu had been out for years and it was because of his popularity that Marvel said, well, maybe we get two bites at this apple. Maybe we can get another martial artist character. And, and obviously they were going to continue to portray Shang, uh, Shang-Chi, uh, which his book was called the, the, the Master of Kung Fu. He had all of the, you know, 
Asian background, the Asian history. And so then they tried to go with Danny Rand, who became Iron Fist. And he was very popular, but his own book couldn't sustain a bi-monthly status. So what they did is they put Power Man and Iron Fist in a book together. And and much like Hawk and Dove, which predated it, the original Hawk and Dove, not my Hawk and Dove, but the original Steve Ditko, Gil Kane, uh, said Gil Kane's name a lot today. He he is very resonant. The, the, the Hawk and Dove of the 60s was really like the blueprint for what they were going to do with Power Man and Iron Fist. Because then Power Man and Iron Fist, they team them up and you've got like the, the more passive martial arts approach, you know, the more measured, a Zen mindset with Iron Fist, with Danny Rand. And then you've got Luke Cage who's like, let me at him. I'm going to tear him up. And it was a great dynamic. You had, you know, a, a, again, a more Zen martial artist in a kind of a, a, a we call him a rager, you know, a little bit of a, got a berserker edge to him with, with Luke Cage Power Man. Well, that was a great mix. And again, top talent, John Byrne did Power Man, uh, Iron Fist. Uh, he did Power Man 48, 49, and 50, or they officially named it Power Man and Iron Fist, and it became Power Man and Iron Fist for another, you know, two and a half, three years. They, they, they went the distance on that book. Maybe, uh, I think another four years. That book, that book combining Power Man with Iron Fist was a just a genius genius because again you get all of that um harlem uh whether it was detective work or or him battling the other uh gangsters and villains and nemesis in harlem and then you got the asian mythology of kun kun lun (laughs) sorry uh i'm talking too fast and and tripping over my tongue as usual uh with with uh with iron fist and, and his his different you know uh hidden hidden mythology and, and and the mysticism that came with him and the two worlds it worked great but it was very much uh like like originally war and peace was with hawk and Devin later chaos and order it was a great balance it was fantastic i never missed an issue i i bought power man and iron fist all the way up until the mid 80s when they canceled it but power man was front and center and again as portrayed by mike coulter on the netflix marvel uh Power Man, Luke Cage story, story uh, uh, series. I thought Mike Coulter did a great job portraying him. I thought he had that strength, that presence, but he would quite often, if you've watched the show, put people through walls, you know, toss them ag- uh, across rooms. He had that strength, that presence, that, that, that confidence, that swagger, that swagger that I totally dug. In the comic books, I'll tell you, Luke Cage was a little more of a hothead, like a Namor. But you guys, everything changed when I encountered this crazy Canadian named Logan, who we would meet as Wolverine in the pages of Hulk, Hulk 181. I never missed an issue of Hulk. Hulk was my, you know, favorite. And then you go, life, he's your original hothead. He is. He is absolutely the temper, temper beast. But no kid really wants to be a giant green monster. It's a fun kind of exercise to realize, hey man, this guy loses his temper and, he be- and everything goes his way because he becomes this monster. And then, uh-oh, he turns back to Bruce Banner and realizes, wow, I wrecked a lot of shit. I-, I feel bad. I need to wander off. And certainly the TV show had a more realistic, grounded approach to that. But as much as I liked Hulk, I never wanted to be Hulk. I never, never, never kind of projected myself like I did with Luke Cage and like I did with, um, with, with Namor. I mean, again, I'm going to get back to Luke Cage had a had a giant chain for a belt, okay? And he had metal metal wrist gauntlets too. And I, I'm telling you, man, just a great visual. As I'm flipping over these, these, these Defenders covers and seeing him alongside, you know, Doctor Strange and Nighthawk 
and and Hulk. I mean, he pops, man. He totally pops. He looks great. Again, alongside the Fantastic Four, I was like, I wouldn't mind this. You know, as much as I like the thing, I wouldn't mind seeing this. It played out over one arc and that was it. But still, Luke Cage was a big deal. He was everywhere. He was in their top uh, team books. And again, you know, you really couldn't escape him. Marvel was clearly playing a winning hand with Luke Cage and, and giving him as much exposure as possible. Then you get to Hulk which I never missed. And one episode finds the Hulk battling this monster in the wilderness, this basically version of the Sasquatch of the, of the uh, Bigfoot named, named uh, Wendigo. And in the middle of it, this little runt in this cool primary blue and yellow costume with six claws, three on each hand, comes out and joins the fray. And he is an irritant enough to where he knocks both these guys back. So you got these two big giant, the big jolly green giant in Hulk, and then you've got your giant Sasquatch um, motif in in Yeti, and they're battling it out. And and the Canadian government dispatched Wolverine to break this up, and it's the where we where we're introduced to the idea of of this Canadian arm of superheroes and super agents. And you know, look, there's a reason Wolverine really stuck, and they put him on the giant size X Men just a few months later, is because. Uh, he looked cool. Now, I have a dedicated podcast that, that covers all of early Wolverine. It's called I Was a Teenage Wolverine. I highly recommend if you're going through my old um, podcast, as some of you have claimed that, that, that you're really um, binging these now that you've come up on the show, I highly recommend I Was a Teenage Wolverine. It takes, tells you a lot of the secret origins of what they were thinking, what they were going for, how plans drastically changed, and how young he was supposed to be in the beginning. But eventually... Between his appearance in Hulk, where he stands toe-to-toe, and, and again, what does Namor and Wolverine have in common? They both step into situations and take down the the heroes. They take down the thing and Reed Richards and Human Torch, if you're Namor. And then here, you go toe-to-toe and are taking on, if not taking down, standing toe-to-toe, holding your own. This brand new character with a great name, Wolverine, taking on Wendigo and Hulk. And look, I didn't know what a Wolverine was. I had to look it up in the encyclopedia and I, I found out that a wolverine, a small, ferocious, you know, beast could could take on giant grizzly bears. And it's like, whoa, again, getting to the fact that comic books were a great educational tool growing up without the internet, you know, without Google. Again, the library was past that magical cross-section of Magnolia and Broadway, two blocks down was the Anaheim Library. And I would go there all the time getting these Firestone, like I said, trade paperbacks. If I couldn't check them out, I'd read them, you know, at a table in the library and then put it back in. Uh, I would go, I would look the encyclopedia, you know, Wolverine, what's a Wolverine? Oh my gosh. You know? And and so then he goes into the pages of the X-Men and he's a complimentary character, but it was in 1977, which again, I'm, I'm nine in 1977. And, and John Byrne takes over the X-Men. I didn't know that John Byrne was Canadian. I didn't know that he wanted to bolster Wolverine's profile. But immediately, overnight, he puts the focus squarely on Wolverine, makes him much more of a primary character in the pages of the X-Men, gives him a snarl, gives him kind of an edge, and and suddenly there's a, a greater amount of angst. And again, I want to get back to the angst because you're a teenager and, and or you're, you're a preteen. And, and in, in my instance, for, for me, like I've told you guys in my youth, nine is right about when my dad is about to go into the hospital, have his brain surgery, get his blood clot, be in a coma for nine months. I was dealing with a lot of, you know, unresolved angst, ang- anger, sadness, despair, 
Uh, so characters like Wolverine were a perfect outlet for me. Characters like Namor were a perfect outlet for me. Characters like Luke Cage were a perfect outlet for me. The hotheads served their purpose. I could project. I'm glad I didn't have three claws on each hand. Who knows what would have gone wrong? But I'm going to tell you something. Uh, as Wolverine's, uh, his prominence grows in the pages of the X-Men, they introduce this love triangle where he really loves Jean Grey. And you feel again, you know, when, when we're talking, when we are uh, talking teenage youth and, and, and you know, unrequi- unrequited love, I mean, we've all, you know, uh, felt inadequate as kids as we, as we, you know, stared in awe. At, at, at the girl of our dreams, the crush that we had, and 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 she looked the other way, looked past us, walked past us, whatever. Um, and Wolverine was experiencing that in the pages of the X Men, because Scott was the tall, handsome leader of the X Men, and Jean Grey was supposedly in love with him. But Jean did wander; she not wandered completely, but her mind, she let herself entertain these um, overtures by Wolverine, who expressed his affection for her. So in that moment in time we become wolverine we the kid who who is you know gaga googly eyed at the girl in in sixth grade and in junior high is suddenly now in wolverine's body experiencing what it feels like that gene gray maybe kind of you know is going to entertain him but ultimately kind of gives him the cold shoulder and then in the dark phoenix saga and in the black queen aspect of the dark phoenix saga when he be- when she becomes uh cruel and mean and says hurtful awful things to wolverine it's even more painful for him and you because literally given the diminutive size of wolverine that he is like look i mean honestly it, what is he five six five seven he, he, it feels like he, they, they drew him at, at the tallest five nine five ten and again yes i'm aware that people are like wait but when he came to the movies you know he was so much taller he wasn't that small guy that we expected well i, I sum that up by this that's how good hugh jackman's performance was that he made so many of us just not care. That he made so many of us just love him regardless that he wasn't a complete comic book template. But boy, from in every other aspect, Hugh Jackman is and was and remains, you know, my Wolverine for the ages. But Wolverine in the pages of uh, of, of of the uh, the X-Men, I mean, again, a rebel, hot-headed, again, stands challenges challenges cyclops routinely challenges all the leadership in days of future past wolverine uh, wolverine like pops his claws on storm who is now the leader uh, because cyclops has left has left the team in in the wake of the dark phoenix saga and the fate of gene gray he leaves so storm becomes the leader wolverine loses his temper pops his claws i own this page of original art and storm says stand down and i mean he is they 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 give that dramatic tension they want you to see how close those claws are to to storm and and he reluctantly he gets control of himself and he you know sheathes his claws and stands down but he did the same thing he and cyclops got in fisticuffs routinely fighting where he would again challenge cyclops not only his leadership but but whether he treated gene right whether he was worthy of gene gray's love because he was in love with gene and he had his unrequited love when when wolverine thinks that gene gray is dead from the aftermath of the volcano falling on the team in the magneto saga in like x-men 112 113 114 and he's in the savage land because half the team made it out to the other side and went through antarctica and and land in set in the savage land where they meet kazar and zabu and just amazing adventures you know wolverine is mourning that Jean probably died 
in that uh and 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 you know he even believes that he's mourning her greater than cyclops did so as kids we are taken on this this uh you know soap opera adventure with these characters and they, they, they we got caught up in them i got caught up in them and i'm going to tell you being again diminutive and hairy but john Byrne always and, and this is the peak of wolverine this is where he became the fan favorite character of the ages john Byrne just grew, drew him so great he didn't draw him ugly he didn't draw him repulsive he was just he looked different he had those pointy hair he had those mutton chops he wasn't you know super tall stallion um, Boy Scout, and I guess that's what it gets down to. I just wasn't a Boy Scout fan, you know. I wasn't a Superman guy. I really wasn't a Captain America guy. I wasn't a Batman guy. I wasn't a Green Lantern guy. DC has all Boy Scouts, so many Boy Scouts. Um, certainly, Iron Man, Tony Stark was beginning to have some of his demons in the pages of the comic books, but nowhere near this triggered temper that that Namor had and Luke Cage had. And now Wolverine has it the worst of all. And again, when you cross Wolverine, he would kill you. Jim Shooter thought it was problematic during that same Savage Land storyline that I think runs 114, 115, 116 in the pages of the X-Men. There, there's a, a group of tribal uh, guards that are, that, are, that are guarding this entranceway and Wolverine clearly kills them, sticks his hand in their throat and and it it, it shows off camera. He the snicked his claws pop so he's like impaling these guys from the mouth and jim shooter's like we have to establish he's not a murderer he doesn't do this because wolverine had this hot temper and 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 eventually it's it's you know him taking on the entire hellfire club as we build the climax of uh all the hellfire club soldiers as we build the climax of the uh of 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 the dark phoenix saga but but it's really funny in x-men 129 uh colossus and Storm and Wolverine uh, take Kitty Pride, their new student. They they go to a soda shop in the city, and Wolverine is very clearly because I was checking this out just the other day before I was compiling this to put the show together. Wolverine is in his is is in a leather leather jacket. He's in his you know civilian clothes. He's got his hat on, and he's reading penthouse it's very clear it says penthouse on the cover and, and there's other uh, what we would call the nudie magazines at the time on on the shelves behind him and the owner of the store goes hey bud uh you know it's, this isn't a library if you're gonna read it you're gonna pay for it and wolverine goes oh yeah who's gonna make me and the, and the store owner's like well i am and wolverine's like you don't want a piece of this i mean wolverine is about to throw down with the uh store owner who is drawn as a slighter man you know, given glasses, has an apron on, who's telling Wolverine, you can't read that penthouse magazine. I'm not sure that they would have Wolverine, uh, you know, reading penthouse uh, in today's comic books, but I, I, don't, I think for a decade, they took the cigar out of his mouth, right? I mean, they, they, they editorialized his smoking, but this, this guy is smoking during this time, smoking uh, uh, copious amounts of cigars, cigarettes um, has his hot temper will fight anybody including the grocery man who wants him to stop checking out penthouse in, in in the middle of the afternoon now shortly thereafter they're attacked right after that before wolverine can stick it to the uh the grocer uh they're attacked by the hellfire club and so that that his his uh you know treating the 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 grocery store like a library uh, it, it is completely thrown to the side but it's a, it's, it's a fun little character moment again you're reading this going man wolverine Man, he's an edgy, especially for 1979, an edgy Marvel character. 
It is later on in the uh, Wolverine miniseries, which again, there's a dedicated podcast episode where you see so much of the influence of what was going on in television and movies that Chris Claremont and and Frank Miller implemented into their groundbreaking, best-selling breakout miniseries, The Wolverine. And I think the episode is called The Wolverine. I mean, it is there that the... uh, you know, Wolverine overseas pursuing the love of his life now, which is Mariko, uh, who is who is the daughter of a, you know, Yakuza crime lord, a Yakuza crime lord. Uh, that guy tells him, you're an animal. You don't have training. You don't have discipline. You're opposite of what we are. You have opposite of the, again, some of the, like I said, the martial arts, the the the, the Zen aspects that, that Iron Fist was, was, you know, subscribing to, that, that dictated so much of his discipline, that this, this, Mariko's father is is telling him, "You're like a dog. You, you don't have this." And 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 in the end of the, you know, miniseries, Wolverine taps into the fact that I am like an animal, and that's that works for me. I am an animal, and it's my rage and it's my fury that give me the edge over everybody. Now, imagine how empowering I, it is for me at now 1981, 1982, reading this, and now I'm 15, now I'm 14, and again I'm in the throes of pubescence. And, and, and the young males that were making up the, the you know, majority of that audience, that he was the apex, continues to be. There is nobody uh, who, who kind of pushed the berserker rage, the temper tantrum, who needed to hear from their mom, dear, now, now, dear, now, now, dear, temper, 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 temper. Maybe I heard that in my, in my youth. Maybe not. I don't know. Uh, but bottom line. You know, along the ways, some of the other guys that had bad tempers, I've already mentioned the thing. He had a notorious t- bad temper. And I also related to him as a teenager because we don't like how we look when we're teenagers. The, the pimples, the hair isn't, you know, as, as, as uh, looking as smooth as the guy on television that you're trying to emulate that haircut. You, you don't look like that movie star's helm, uh, haircut. I mean, look, Johnny, the karate kid, he's got the temper. You know, they, they tapped into that. We, we, it was hard to hate him because we did have a sympathy for him and, and, and we didn't think he was like a Dr. Doom villain uh, level villain. And we saw that he was, you know, being manipulated through Cobra Kai. And, and now when Cobra Kai comes back, they've really tapped into, he has the berserker rage. He's your temperamental character. He's the temper temper guy. He's the guy that loses it and doesn't have the discipline and then runs a dojo based on the same, you know, lack of, of discipline and principles, which, which puts him in direct, you know, uh, opposition with Danny LaRusso and, and, you know Miyagi's way so I mean again Cobra Kai huge hit breakout hit is again tapping into what I'm talking about the temper temper the hotheads Johnny definitely Johnny definitely falls into that category but but the thing you know doesn't like the way he looks doesn't like the way he looks and, and again the reason I talked about Johnny is Johnny's a guy I'm a teenager I want to look like Johnny Johnny's like the good looking guy and all the it doesn't matter that he's the bully what you see as a kid is all the girls love him in all all of the different movies that 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 Zabka is uh, William Zabka is appearing in. He's like the 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 pre you know prefab uh, heartthrob guy gone bad, and he had the great hair, the great hair. And then you're like, ah, my hair can't really get it to look like that. So so whether it was the pimples, whether it was our, our weird you know pubescence that we were going through, uh, we would relate to not like what he, what we see on the other you know side of the mirror. And the thing most definitely most definitely struggled with that. He hated the way he looked. Had a blind girlfriend. Couldn't believe that even she liked him. Couldn't believe that his blind girlfriend liked him. That's how much the thing was struggling. So Ben Grimm's plight and his hair trigger temper, again, something I could relate to. I mean, look, did Marvel have a lock on these temper temper guys? You got Thing, Hulk, 
Luke Cage, Namor, Wolverine. I mean, they they, they took this, uh, you know, temper temper the hotheads. You know, like I said, if this was a Firestone Stone comic or or compilation, it would be called "Let's Hear It for the Hotheads." And uh, "Let's Hear It for the Hotheads" would have been a bestseller to young Robbie Life. I'm gonna, I'm going to add one more: Hercules. The depiction of Hercules from the minute Jack Kirby put him in Thor was that of a hothead, he, and especially he was triggered by Thor. And he was always they, there is no bar that he would not break down. There is no structure he would not topple, trying to best Thor and show that he was stronger, that he was the strongest of all. And you know he would get drunk, he would carouse, um, he would do things that would get a superhero canceled. Uh, you know, in, in the in the, in his treatment of women as portrayed in 1970s, 1980s comic books. But certainly, uh, Hercules was another guy, and I, I liked him more than Thor. I did. I just was not into the Boy Scouts. And, you know, so you got Hercules now, and he has great strength. He's a great-looking guy. Got the cool armaments, the great Jack Kirby design. Carries a cool mallet instead of a hammer. And often, he would thump on Thor. He would then get his own showcase in the Avengers and then Champions. Hercules was another breakout character, a quintessential hothead there is a backup story where wolverine and hercules battle that was originally in a hulk treasury edition it was uh, penciled by a gentleman named ken landgraf and inked by no less than george perez and 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 this thing was great they're both in a bar it's it's wolverine and hercules having a giant barroom brawl it was the perfect uh, confrontation for two characters that were dying to be depicted in this manner because again they were the hotheads of marvel i examined dc I really can't come up with the hotheads, not Dr. Fate, no version of Green Lantern prior to, I'm going to get to him, because there's one that they tried to go in on, it didn't last for long, but pre- pre- predominantly, the, Mar- the DC superstars, Superman, Flash, Green Lantern, Aquaman, Batman, Wonder Woman, these are really noble people, all Boy Scouts, not a hothead among them. Now, later in the 80s, there was a Green Lantern named Guy Gardner, and they decided to make him the hothead, him, him the guy who popped off. He, he was the guy with the trigger temper. It didn't last long. It was fun while it lasted. They used it more for humor than anything else. But, but he is really, that, that's how, how deep you got to go fishing in the DC oceans to find their version of this. But again, over at Marvel, they, they saw something. They knew whatever it was, that pubescent, prepubescent rage, pubescent rage, teenage angst, we loved. We loved our hotheads. And today it was a celebration and I cannot wait to see my very first hothead love, my very first temper temper, Prince Namor by Teno, I think it's, it's Tinoch, Tinoch Huerta is going to portray him. And I cannot wait. I mean, here he comes. Here he comes. The first, the most fabulous kind of, of, the, of the hotheads of the temper temper boys. And, uh, and I cannot wait to see him on screen. And it really triggered an entire episode where I'm going to tell you, these were my guys. I did not want to be Captain America. I did not want to have a suit of armor. I didn't want to be, you know, Reed Richards and making um, inventive stuff. I wanted to be the guy that didn't take any shit, didn't take any guff and knocked you through the wall and, and uh, you know, stood up for myself, stood my ground, you know, had my angst like the thing and Wolverine, the thing in the Wolverine and Wolverine Logan really do share kind of that you know, sorrow for, for, for the way, the way life dealt them, you know, dirty. And again, as we got deeper into Wolverine's origins and the way he had always kind of been abused and a subject of abuse by the government, the weapon X program, uh, it, it was, uh, it was more relatable, but they, they really went and gave you a, uh, a basis for why he was so tormented again, alongside the thing 
who who had that same. I mean, but but again, they flipped it immediately. That Luke Cage Power Man, he's part of the Fantastic Four, and what's on the cover? Ben Grimm going for years. I just wanted to be the thing, and now I've been replaced. I, I, I for years I've wanted to not be the thing anymore and just be Ben Grimm, but now I've been replaced. So he was damned if he did, damned if he didn't. But that was all part of the magic that these comics created for me in my youth, and one of the reasons that little Robbie Liefeld and 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 quite possibly you, because these are very popular characters, we celebrated the hotheads. So 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 I raise a glass. And I celebrate and I toast and, 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 and I, I put to you, let's hear it for the hotheads. I mean, where would we be without our hotheads in the first place? Come on. I mean, let's be honest. What, what, got, got, got to give it to those guys. Thank you so much for hanging out with me and listening to me blather about the hotheads. Let's hear it for the hotheads. You guys, I haven't done a Rob's recommendation with you in forever. So that's going to change today as I am going to quickly, quickly recommend you. This is a very affordable choice. It is, again, a one-shot, one single interaction, one one single story, one single character you may not have heard of before. It is once again returning to Marvel's uh, showcase comic book called Marvel Premiere. Marvel Premiere number 32, a full year, a full year before Star Wars. Howard Chaykin, we're back with Howard Chaykin, Mr. American Flag, Mr. Dominic Fortune. He gave you a one-shot, a, a, an, introduction to, an introduction to a character called Monarch Star Stalker. Monarch Star Stalker. Two words, Monarch Star Stalker. Monarch being first name, Star Stalker being second name. Marvel premiere, number 32, Monarch Star Stalker. On the cover, you see Monarch holding his gun and his golden eagle and a uh, a familiar pose with the with the with the woman at the foot it, this is very much a Luke Skywalker esque princess leia esque poster layout one solid year before star wars would, would would he would be chosen this is one of the things that got him chosen his word on, his work on this and another uh, book called Cody Starbuck uh, George Lucas was apparently a huge fan savage science fantasy it says the galaxy is his hunting ground. Its deadly inhabitants are its are his prey. Monarch, Starstalker, Howard Shaken. Really cool one shot. Introduces you to this bounty hunter. It's one issue. You're going to get it affordably. Uh, another, just, just a, a flex of where Howard Shaken was going. What he was uh, doing. Again, like a Walt Simonson. Like Frank Miller. Just ahead of his game. Ahead of the curb. I mean. I did a YouTube uh, interview with Mark Miller just a few days ago. You can tr- you can find it on on YouTube on Mark I think Mark Miller's uh, YouTube channel. But we we started just gushing about Howard Chaykin again. He really affected us back in the day. You you get to see the groundwork for everything that came after. This is what got him the Star Wars gig. It is a single issue. It is Monarch Starstalker. Be sure to give it a give it a. Um, uh, uh, a look check it out again i think it can be obtained fairly uh you know fairly fairly easily N- not 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 terribly expensive and and i would encourage you guys to uh to check that out one of the a uh, rob's recommend a, a definite rob's recommend okay so 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 monarch star stalker and that is Marvel 
premiere number 32 a cool you know takes place on another planet cool cool bounty hunter story a one shot the kind of thing that you're not gonna not read and go this is cool this was cool i dug this i didn't know this existed and, and so there you go. Rob's recommend returns. And who we got? We got another Howard Chaykin. You guys know at the end of every episode, I read your reviews. I read the reviews that you guys lead for us on the on on the uh, review platforms like Apple and, and others. And it helps us so much, you guys. It helps us stand up. Thank you so much for believing in the show, for digging the show, for spreading the word. I cannot believe how many of you contact me through all of the different social media channels and you uh, you know, just express your enthusiasm for it. I, I am so excited. It, it really gives me the juice to, to pour into an episode like today's with the, the hotheads because uh, the, the the bad boys, the bad boys of Marvel. I mean, it, it it just it just makes sharing that stuff so much fun. But these these reviews help us stand out. And uh, I'm I'm gonna read. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna give you a funny one here. Okay, uh, two really quick, two two quick ones. And I appreciate I appreciate all of these. This is from Hadora 101. Hadora 101. It it's just all caps. Reborn. It says, and he gives us five stars. It says, I've learned so much from Rob on this podcast. He has me hunting and loving comics all over again. The Heroes Reborn saga is a run of episodes not to miss. The Heroes Reborn saga is literally, and if you go out of that into Fighting American, because that was that's what was next. It's like five, seven episodes uh, that, that are just, um, they're crack-a-lacking. They are crack-a-lacking with juice, energy, Big time chess pieces being moved around the board. Some some gambits that that don't happen. I I was more of an observer to, to some of this, and you'll ever understand. But that he was so taken. And my favorite part is that he, it says Hadora one hundred and one says that it's got him hunting and loving comic books all over again. Thank you, Hadora. That that that's the best news you could give me because because you know what you're going to get more comics, and we're going to have more to talk about. And then here's a good one. Uh, this is from J-U-Dash-O-S-H, a, a, a very interesting spelling, spelling of Josh or Josh, J-U-Dash-O-S-H. Uh, <laughs> he, uh, he, he, he writes an open letter to James Cameron, okay? Another brief one, open letter to James Cameron. Gives, 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 this, gives his review five stars, gives our show five stars. Says, Dear Mr. Cameron, please do not put Tom Cruise in one of your upcoming Avatar films. Rob Liefeld will have a heart attack and die from joy. Okay, I, I, I'm not going to argue with anything in that statement. Uh, Mr. Cameron, please do not put Tom Cruise in one of your up- upcoming Avatar movies. Rob Liefeld will have a heart attack and die from joy. It is true that would be the the pop culture peanut butter and chocolate uh, big cup that I could not recover from. I, I do believe it would be the ultimate sugar rush. You guys, thank you. Thank you, uh, Josh and, 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 and Hedora. Thank you for these great reviews. You guys, just again, the word of mouth, uh, the sharing on social media, the recommendation in person to friends. I am so thankful. Thank you again for listening to Rob Observations. You know, I'm all over social media. I hope that you can catch me on one of the different social media platforms on Twitter. I used to tell you, hey, I've got a blue check, but apparently that's not going to be something uh, that you can use to identify uh, me as legit, or I'm, 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 st- I'm still uncertain in these early days of how we're going. I still love Twitter. I don't have any issues with Twitter. You can find me there. I do, for now, I still have a blue check. It's, it's supposed to tell you that it's really me. It's R-O-B-E-R-T-L-I-E-F-E-L-D, Robert Liefeld, the full name, Robert Liefeld. 
And uh, maybe I can get Elon to give that squatter who has Rob Liefeld uh, up to me. Nah, Robert Liefeld is, is is the place. Robert Liefeld is my Twitter handle. I I, I love talking to you guys, sharing ideas, the passion, um, d- different links, uh, uh, all the back and forth that we share about pop culture and comics and movies and streaming and toys. Uh, we do it all there. I am Robert Liefeld on Twitter, on Instagram. I'm. I managed to be just Rob Liefeld. My, my wife recommended Instagram to me, whatever it was, 12, 13, 14 years ago. Rob Liefeld, I got it. That also has a blue check. Right now, that still stands for verification of the real deal over on Instagram. At Rob Liefeld is uh, where you're going to find me over on Instagram. Uh, I've been posting less lately, but I got I to get back up on that. My stories, I'm generally always sharing uh, different stuff with you guys. I get your DMs, your messages, your... your uh, I love talking to you guys in the comments, so please follow me. It's, it's kind of like a uh, my, my 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 diary in pictures. Kind of what what am I where, where am I at? What am I working on? What am I eating? You know what pen am I using? I share my life with you guys over on Instagram. I am at Rob Liefeld. We have a group on Facebook called Rob Liefeld and Extreme Group. It's that simple. That that separates us from the other Rob Liefeld groups on Extreme. On, on Facebook, Rob Liefeld and Extreme Group, either myself or Terry Sala, S-A-L-A, will click you through in one, once you submit for membership. That's why, that's how you know you're at the right place. So Rob Liefeld and Extreme Group, we are busting at the seams, great new members all the time, sharing comics, memories, art, stories uh, from, from, the, from the entirety of not just my own career, but things that I've worked on, we, 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 if, if I've drawn Cap or, or the Avengers or Fantastic Four or, or Snake Eyes uh, or the Shield, uh, the, the stuff that I don't you know, own and create, it, it, it's, it's for more than just the Deadpool and the cables and the profits of the world. So come hang out. We have art contests. It's, it's a really fun site. I love talking to all, to all of you and, and seeing what you share and, and sharing my stuff with you guys. So Rob Liefeld and Extreme Group over on Facebook, join it. Uh, myself or Terry Sala will click you on through and we can just continue the party. There is an app. It's called Whatnot. I'm on it. Whatnot is the next level uh, collectible app where there is a million stores. People are selling kicks. They're selling sneakers and and sports memorabilia and and paraphernalia and uh, and 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 they're se- they're selling um, shirts and and apparel. And then there's comics and toys and and Funko Pops. And that's that's my that's that's my realm. That's where I am. That's what I share with you guys when I uh, take to the airwaves. Generally, we 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 are on Wednesdays and Saturdays. Uh, I schedule shows. If you follow me on whatnot, you'll be able to pick up and realize uh, when we're going to be on the air. So you got to get the app, get the whatnot app. You got to download it, and then you find Rob Liefeld. I'm one of I'm sure many stories you're going to want to jump into. Uh, there's there's an auction aspect to it that is a blast i didn't really understand what everyone was talking about until i participated in it myself but then we have our buy it now dedicated store we have exclusives there we have a spider-man exclusive we have a a brigade exclusive we have a deadpool exclusive that is debuting later this week so please jump on over to whatnot follow rob liefeld and check out our live streams I, i i hope to see you there I am literally talking to you guys the entire time, like for, for, for three hours, four hours when we go live. It goes by in a blip. Uh, people have said it's like an extension of this podcast. You'll see why. I'm a little uh, less constrained. I, I need to be a little more, um, uh, uh, need, need to have the edit button uh, uh, 
geared more towards my way during my live streams. But anyway, check it out. I think you're going to have fun. You know that I am rooting for you at all times. And my motto here is you got to get out and have a good time. Uh, these last couple of years, and then, oh my gosh, all of this election stuff, you got to kick back. You got you to gotta escape into what you love. Maybe that is a big, giant, you know, uh, 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 lasagna. M- m- maybe it's a hamburger. Maybe it's a taco. Maybe it's enchiladas. M- you know, maybe it's uh, linguine, uh, chicken parm. I don't know. But but go have that. It, it's like a cheat day for, for not just your mouth and your food, but also read a comic book. Watch that thing. You know that 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 show that you've been wanting to binge. Uh, go 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 watch that film trilogy. Those, those movies. Read a book. Just just do something that feeds your souls, uh, your spiritual self, your physical self, your mental self. You know your emotional self. They're important, and you, we just cannot be slaves to the grind. Get away from the grind. Uh, hey, if there's a convention in town, go to a convention. If, if you're if you're cool, uh, being around other people, I mean, they're they're really back in a big way. Just get out and and absolutely feed your creative self. And and may, maybe you need to paint, draw. I don't know, but but do it. And if you can do it rec- reclining, you know, with, with with some gelato. Hey, maybe you're next to me uh, in my house, okay? Because that's what I'm doing. Because I do practice what I preach. So so. Definitely take some time. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm rooting for you. Just get that extra chill that you need to get off uh, that you know that that treadmill of life and take a minute for yourself. I'm gonna be here. I'm gonna be here next time you swing around the cul-de-sac. You'll find me. I, I look forward to it. I most certainly, absolutely, definitively will be here, and we will talk again real soon. 